You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Hi, Father in heaven, thanks for your goodness and your loving kindness, and thank you so much um, for the salvation that you've given us through Christ. And I pray for this class. Tough topic. I pray that um, you would, uh, that, that your word would provide for us the wisdom that we need through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Mr. Howard, would you mind being the um, class secretary and handing these out? Thank you very much. Um, Okay, so we have been doing a series called Our Spiritual Aspirations for Our Children. And um, and so basically, I left it, but we have this purple book it's like the overview of our ministry to, you know, ministry to, thank you so much, children, youth, and families. And, um, and it opens with this page that says, our dream, like our dream for your child. And so, you know, it, and so we've been doing, we're doing six classes on those dreams. But, you know, you kind of have to start with the end in mind. Like, what is it that we as a church, what is it that we as families want to see be true in the lives of our kids as it pertains to their spiritual lives. So the six aspirations we identified is they would live, they would have a peaceful life, a peaceful, restful life. They would have the peace and the rest of the gospel. That they would have a meaningful, purposeful life. That they would see their life, that God made their life for a reason, and that, uh, that they would see that they have a purpose in the kingdom of God. Um, that they would live a moral, loving life. That they would be moral, ethical people, who live a life of serving others, they live a life that is in accordance with God's word, uh, God's law. Um, that they would live a worshipful life. There would be people who worship the Lord, and that, that um, concretely would include that they are people who go to church and regularly attend corporate worship. Like that's an aspiration that our kids would, you know, when they're 19, 29, 39, that they'd go to church on Sunday, right? Like Mary over here, young adult, Worked until 10 last night, but here she is. Look at that. Props to Mary. That's what we're gunning for. This is what we want next. Um, that they would have a joyful life. Um, that they would have the joy of Christ and that they would find a joyful, satisfied life. That they would have the satisfaction of relationship with Jesus. Because we believe that and we all want our kids to be happy. In reality, we want our kids to be content and satisfied. And we believe that that's going to be found in an intimate relationship with Jesus. So that's an aspiration. And then today, our aspiration is that they would live an eternal life. And so we're going to be talking about salvation. And um, and this is this is this is tough, David. You're gonna so you're gonna have to. This might feel a little awkward for you because we're gonna be talking about you know like our kids, and you're gonna be like, wait a minute, you're talking about me. So it could be a little awkward. But um, but hang in there. But um, Basically, so I used to have this uh, mentor, and he would, all, he would say this over and over again, and it was a really good statement. He would say, we only have one A-list problem in life. That's what's going to happen to us when we die. After that, every other problem is B-list, no matter what it is, you know? And so he'd say, and if you're A-list problem, you know that when you die, you will be accepted by God through Christ, and that you will spend eternity in heaven, every other problem is very, very, very small relative to that problem being solved. Um, and so, um, and so, you know, when we really get down to it, 
the um, our ultimate hope, if you're a Christian parent, our ultimate hope for our kids is that they would be saved, that they would be their sins would be forgiven, that they would have a you know a personal relationship with Christ, that have a saving faith in Christ, so that when they die, they would not face judgment, but they would face the acceptance of God and they would live for eternity in heaven. That's you know that's um, that is that really is the number one hope that a Christian parent has for their child. And so that's tough, though. That's really tough, thinking about the salvation of your child. Um, because here, here's, there, there, there are generally two responses to this when we start to think about salvation in relation to our own children. The first is the hyperactive reaction, and that is that parents feel like they need to save their kids themselves. You know, rather than Jesus being the Savior, I as the dad or the mom... Uh, I feel like I've got to be their Messiah. I've got to save my child. And you see this. You see this a lot. I see this a lot. Um, you particularly like, uh, particularly in uh, even evangelistic settings, that um, parents are afraid. They're afraid that their child is 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 not going to be saved. Their child is going to end up in hell, and they they live with fear. And they are constantly trying to save their kids. And they're trying to save their kids in all kinds of ways. Um, whether that's like putting pressure on them or whether that's, you know, with, with a lot of uh, rigidity, trying to kind of force them into religious context in a way that's not, that's not healthy and wise. Um, and so that's the hyperactive reaction to this question of the salvation of your children. Well, then you have the hyperpassive reaction which is parents just kind of like pretending like this is not a reality. Pretending like salvation is not really, doesn't really, it's not even an issue. It doesn't even exist. Like, um, and, and uh, sorry, this is, you know, this is a, this is a hard word. There are going to be a lot of hard words in this class. Um, but there's going to be a lot of hope in this, I promise. Like you're, you'll, you'll come out of this class being like, feeling, understanding the tension and, and having some comfort and some direction, but the, this the reality of just pretending like, um, hey man, what's up? Hey guys, good to see. You. Just pretending like there is no reality of heaven and hell, and just like, oh, you know, it's fine. Oh, he's a nice person. Oh, you know, we're you know, he's nice to his grandmother, and that you know, and not really thinking that there is really like salvation is real. You know, uh, that afterlife is real. Why do we know it's real? Because that because most of the content we have about Salvation and judgment comes straight out of the mouth of Jesus Christ in the Gospels, and so um, and so this was a, one of the main topics that Jesus talks about is, is salvation, deliverance from judgment. So that being said, how do we live in the middle, where you know we're like living in reality and we're responsive, and we also recognize that we can't save our kids; only Jesus can save our kids. And so we're going to look at Romans nine and ten. This is one of the, particularly Romans 9, is one of the hardest chapters of the whole Bible from a doctrinal standpoint. But the thing you're going to find is that it's actually incredibly comforting if you're a parent. Okay, And so the, the bottom line of what we're going to see here in Roman 9, Romans 9 is that salvation is the job of God. That salvation is the job of God. And um, your child's salvation is entirely in the hands of God. Okay, then we're going to go to the other side in Romans 10, and we're going to see that 
No one can come to salvation without the Word of God. Uh, no, no one can come to salvation without hearing the good news of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be on both extremes of this pendulum, and that's going to help us live in the tension. Help us live in the tension in a way that's responsible, that's faithful, and that where there's some peace. All right. So starting in, in um, oh, guys, let me help you all out here. Um, uh, here, we take a couple back to, to them. Thanks so much. All right. So starting in Romans 9, um, and I'm just going to go, I'm just going to teach through this text. Um, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Okay, so the context of this is Paul in the book of Romans, which is in the New Testament, he is talking about um, the fate of the Israelites. And so in this section, he is dealing with why is it that a large number of the Israelites have rejected Christ as the Messiah? Um, Why is it that there hasn't been this universal reception of the gospel amongst the Jews? Now, here's one thing. It's not like there was a, not like everyone entirely rejected Christ as the Messiah amongst the Jews because, you know, a large portion of the early converts to Christianity were Jewish. Um, A lot of uh, the um, early churches were converted synagogues where they did recognize Jesus as the Messiah and they did start to, you know, worship as Jewish Christians, Jesus as Lord. And so, but he's saying, like, why is it that so many Jews have rejected Jesus as the promised Messiah that had been expected throughout the Old Testament and who checks all the boxes in the eyes of Paul for the expected Messiah who would save God's people from their sins? And so he's dealing with this. So the first thing to notice here in verse 2 where it says, he says that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Paul is suffering because uh, as he um, thinks about and um, desires that the Israelites would receive Christ, that there would be um, salvation through Christ amongst the Jews. And so I bring this up because, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, wondering about the salvation of your child and like the spiritual welfare and vitality of your children, there, there is a suffering. There is a long suffering and there's a patience that just comes with that. Um, <clears throat> because, you, you know, we all want to see our kids have a personal relationship with Jesus. We all want to see our kids like, you know, um, thrive in Christ. And like that only happens on God's timing. That's not something where we can, you know, write the check or do the right formula and it just happens, you know? And, so, and I see that with so many of our parents. This is my 17th year here. I cannot, that's amazing. I can't believe that. Um, and uh, I know, I mean, you, you, you saw me swim at the pool, right? Anyhow. And so I have, I've seen this parent, you know, parents who have just suffered so long watching their children 
um, you know, who are, you know, struggling in different ways, but particularly have like rejected the faith. And so, um, and so with that being said, it's, it's worth it to deny it, to, to recognize that as we think about this aspiration, that our children would have an eternal life, that they would, they would have salvation, to recognize that this, like to expect that there will be long suffering in this aspiration. Um, that there, there will be required patience and there will be probably some sleepless nights as we kind of watch our kids under God's lordship, um, you know, make their way to, toward and away from and back again with Christ. And so that's the first thing to recognize. Um, would you mind shutting that door? Either of y'all. Thank you so much. Um, all right, so verse 6, we're in Romans 9, uh, if you just walked in. Um, so Paul then says, But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all, thank you so much, not all are children of Abraham because they are offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So what Paul is saying here is that um, just because you're a Jew doesn't mean you're saved. There was a sign outside of McElwain Baptist Church about 30 years ago, and it said, God has no grandchildren. God has no grandchildren. I can remember asking, kind of thinking about that, and being like, huh, how about that? That's kind of clever. Um, But basically to say, like, hey, just because you've grown up in a Christian family, just because you've gone to church or gone to youth group, that doesn't mean that you're necessarily saved. Like, a big problem for the Jews is like, hey, I'm a Jew ethnically, you know, we've, we've done the rituals, I was circumcised, whatevs, and that means that, you know, I'm in communion with God. Like, you know, I'm eternally secure. And that's just not, that's, that is not the case. Like, salvation has to do with recognizing your sinfulness and trusting in Jesus to forgive your sins. That's where salvation comes from. It doesn't have to do anything to do with your birth or, you know, uh, the, pa- the, the, the Sunday patterns of your family. I had a, a, a talk to a young adult um, a couple weeks ago who grew up in this phenomenal church. Phenomenal church up in Tennessee. Um, from like a youth ministry standpoint, it's like a flagship church in the U.S. And uh, lots and lots of people know it. Their pastor, very, very well known. And he was a student leader. And I'm, I'm, ta- I'm asking him about his testimony because um, he's helping out like in our youth ministry. He goes, yeah, I was a student leader. I was there and everything. I definitely didn't become a Christian until my sophomore year of college. <laughs> and he started dating a girl, and he saw that like she had this personal relationship with Jesus, and he noticed, like, oh, yeah, I did the church thing, but I never asked Jesus into my heart. I never asked Jesus to forgive my sins, and I never, you know, never kind of communicated that I want to live in relationship with Christ, with him as my Lord. And so all that to say, that's kind of what Paul's getting at here, is that salvation is not a matter of ethnicity or your background or your heritage. It has to do with you and Jesus. And so continuing on with that, he now says, now things are about to get sticky. Get ready. But I'm telling you, the hard texts in the Bible are often the most comforting. So he says, this means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as offspring. So children who respond to the promise of the gospel, they are those who are saved. And so he says, For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born, 
and had nothing, had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue. Not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger, as it is risen, Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated. Okay, now obviously, this makes us very nervous, right? To hear, to hear this kind of language. But there is something very, very hopeful for you as a parent in this. Uh, and by the way, we're going to get to the human side of this conversation that, in, in verse 10. I'm sorry, chapter 10. Um, so just, you know, hold your horses. We're not going to sit here, you know, on hyper-Calvinism for long. We're going to come over to Arminianville for a little bit. No, not really. But notice that where this is, there is a, there's a, there's, there, notice the tension here, the Bible. But basically, what he is saying is that salvation lies in the hands of God. That's, you know, on, on, the, on the divine plane, salvation belongs to God. And so here's why this is a huge comfort. Number one, it reminds you, I cannot save my child. You can't save your child. That is in the court of the Holy Spirit. Okay, and so the comfort in that is, number one, that enables you to take a deep breath and to not be the rigid, hyper-controlling parent because your child will feel that. Your child will feel that. Some of you yourselves may have felt that as a child. You had parents who felt like, who were very, very, very worried, and they felt like they needed to save you. And usually what you see is that tends to repel kids from the church, repel kids from God, and repel kids from their parents. And so we want to be able to be faithful, but with our hands open like this. Faithful from a place of resting. Because we, where do we get in trouble? We get in trouble when we try to play God. When we try to be God and, and, and step into his, his territory to get into his lane, um, rather than letting him own his lane and we stay in our lane. And we're going to talk about our lane in a minute. But another comfort is this, is that no matter how much you have screw, you screw up as a parent, you know, and mistakes you have made and you've answered the question wrong or, gosh, you were just, you know, just too neurotic when it came to how your kids were dressed on Sunday, whatever it was. Whatever the mistake is you feel like you made, understand that God, his purposes in salvation are greater than any mistakes that we can make. And so there's a comfort in this to know that salvation belongs to the Lord. He's going to double down on this in verse 14 through 18. It says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on him. I have mercy. I will have compassion on him. I have, I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. That's key there. It depends on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth so that he has mercy on whom he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. Okay, now look, this is, this is rough here, but again, it's a comfort because it says that salvation depends upon God, not human exertion, not the exertion of the parent to be the super Christian parent and not the exertion of the child who, you know, is going to do what the child's going to do. Um, it depends on God. And so, you know, when we hear this, though, if we hear this in abstraction and we're like, God hardens whom he hardens and he wills who wills, well, here's the thing, is this, there's a key uh, modifier. It says it depends on God who has mercy. God is good. 
Like God is good. When we wrestle with these kind of questions about election, predestination, all that kind of stuff, really what we're wrestling with is God good? Is God just? Is God loving? That's really the question below the question. And the cross answers that for us. Like we can look at the cross and we know that however this question is answered, and there's a lot of mystery in this and a lot of tension, we do know that God is good. We do know that God is just. And we do know that God loves us. He's on our side. And so we can trust him however this goes about. And so all that to say, um, another piece of uh, another piece of comfort in this is that no matter how far away your child or your loved one may seem to be from God, because it depends on the mercy of God, their resistance is not greater than God's grace. And so you know, there's an amazing book. Um, there's a there's a man named Christopher Yuan. Who's, he's Chinese-American. He actually spoke at the Rooted Conference in Chicago in like 2018, which was 17 years ago. And, um, and so Chris, his story is he was, you know, the, the perfect Asian-American child. He made good grades. He, he was in dental school in Chicago. And he started to dabble with drugs. He started to dabble with drugs. And he was also, um, he was also same-sex attracted. And his third year, and he started dealing drugs um, as a dental student. And he got caught. And he got expelled from dental school one semester away from graduation. Whew, you know, that's rough. That is rough. So his response to that was he moved, he, he like kind of came out and he said, Mom and Dad, I'm gay. I'm gonna live. I'm gonna live in that lifestyle, and um, he moved to Atlanta, and he became the primary drug dealer in the gay community in Atlanta. And he was a huge trafficker of, you know, every narcotic under the sun, every every drug you can imagine. And so um, I'm not gonna get into the details of just how out of control his life got in both, both you know his drugs and the sexuality. But I want to say it was like it was it was kind of like make you blush, blow your mind. Um, how, just how out of control his life was in every way. One day, federal agents show up at his door, boom, 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 and he gets busted. He gets, uh, you know, he was caught with an extraordinary amount of drugs and money in his apartment. And, um, you know, his parents are Christian parents. He's been raised in a Christian home. And so think about this. Now he's going to federal prison for, I think, 12 to 15 years, something in that neighborhood. Okay, so now let's think about this. You're the Christian parent, and you've raised your child, and he seems like he's doing all the right things, and now your child is going to federal prison. Um, and so uh, his mom, the book is written by him and his mom, and his mom would spend you know, two hours a day like praying for him. She had her prayer closet. It was like a closet in their house, and she'd go in, and she'd pray two hours a day for her son. And so one day, he looks in the garbage can, he sees a Bible, he gets out the Bible, he reads, you know, he reads through the Bible, sees it in fresh, the Holy Spirit had given him the eyes to see, reads through it in a fresh way, comes to salvation, and um, he's now actually a seminary professor at a Moody Bible um, College uh, in in Chicago. And so all that to say, like, um, one... Like, no matter how resistant your child is, no matter how much they're tweeting about atheism or how much uh, Dawkins' neo-atheism intellectual drivel they're reading, 
Uh, that stuff is so, so intellectually pitiful. By the way, if, if, just, if your child ever goes down the neo-atheism role, just don't say this. But you can think this, like, hey, well, I just want you to know neo-atheism is intellectually bankrupt. It's, it's stupid. And anyone who's a serious academic intellectual knows that. Um, but anyhow, if, no matter how far away it seems your child is from the Lord, because it depends upon God, your child is never beyond the saving arm of Christ. Second thing, too, is because it depends on God, what, what, then, what then is your response? If you know that you can't save your child, but God can, what is your most natural response to that? To pray a lot. Which, praying for your child, praying for their salvation, is the best thing you can do as a parent. So interesting. I had a, um, we, uh, for Rooted, we interviewed um, Ligon Duncan, who's the chancellor of RTS at seminary. And, um, and we asked him, like, okay, what, give, us, give us, you know, Christian parenting, just kind of give us a little framework. And he says, uh, pray first, model second, teach third. So basically he said most, most Christian parents, particularly evangelical parents, want to teach first, and they want to model second, and they want to pray third. And he says, that's upside down. <laughs> but he said... Because, because of this right here. He said, because this really all lies in the hands of God. Pray first. Let that be, if there's, if, there's a ditch to, if there's a ditch to die in, let it be the prayer ditch. He says, go there, model second, because if you're teaching your kids and, you're, and you're, your, own mo- your own example is, is really bad, then you know, that subverts what you're teaching. So anyhow, pray first, model second, teach third. But anyhow, all that to say, this leads us to pray, which is the single best thing we can do for our kids, is to really just knock down the door of God the Father, that he would um, be at work in our kids' lives. Okay, so that's the God side of this. Now we're going to go over to the human side of this, which Paul comes back to in Romans 10. Uh, That might be on the second sheet. So Romans 10, so he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, talking about the Israelites, is that they might be saved. Um, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So first off, he's starting this next section in the same place that he started the first section. The first section, he starts with an expression of his desire that the Israelites might be saved. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. That's, how, that's his passion for their salvation. He comes back to the same desire. Here, he says, I bear witness, sorry, my bad. He, he starts out by saying, my heart's desire and prayer for them is that they may be saved. Okay? So, same desire, same topic. Now he's going to work on the human plane of this. He says, for I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness, for Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. And so part of what he's saying here is like, hey, they're religious. Like, they're religious. They have a passion for God. But here's the thing, like, that doesn't save you. Like, salvation is not on our terms. We don't write the terms of how we come into fellowship with God. God writes those terms. He's God. And he's the offended party. And so he's the one who gets to make the terms. And he's saying, look, the terms are not by being really, really passionately religious, the terms are that you must acknowledge your sin and you must repent and and put your faith in the saving grace of Jesus. Those are the terms. And he says, 
for they they basically they have a misunderstanding of salvation because they see salvation as coming through the law by being religious by being moral by being good and he's saying the end of the law for righteousness to everyone uh, sorry he says for christ is the end of the law and this is kind of ambiguous what does it mean the end of the law well it it's deliberately ambiguous in one sense Christ is the end of trying to save yourself. Jesus has lived a perfect life for us. He has died for our sins. And so he is the end of trying to save yourself through religious and moral performance. And Christ is the end of the law insofar as the law is meant to drive you to Christ. The law is meant to show you that you do not live up to the the righteous standards of a holy God and that your only hope of being righteous is for God to count you righteous through, uh, by grace through faith. And so, so with that being said, um, this, is, this is going to be important that we need to know the way of salvation, which is the gospel. So 5, it says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandment shall live by them, for, uh, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Now I want to tell you, I've read this a bazillion times and I've really never known what it means. Um, what's going on here is he is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 30 verses 11 through 14. And this is what it says there. It says, For this commandment, what I command you today, is not too hard for you, neither is it too far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us to bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us to bring it to us that you may be around you? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart so that you can do it. What he is saying here is that The Israelites have gotten salvation wrong. They are trying to save themselves through the law. And he is saying, the way of salvation is not a mystery. It's not a secret. It's not way up in heaven. It's not way down below in the ocean. It's not something, it is is clear, it is the gospel. Jesus has come into the world uh, to save us from our sins. And the way to salvation is by putting our faith in Christ. And so he is saying, it's clear clear. It's not hidden under a rock. It's out there for everyone to know and receive. Now he comes back and he says, <clears throat> and he may, oh, I'm sorry. I did not mean to upset you. I'm sorry. I don't know. Um, so, um, so he comes back and now he's going to explicitly state, this is the way of salvation. Like this is the gospel. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so he is, um, he is saying that there, the, the gospel is the message that leads us to salvation, and there is a need for human response to the gospel. He says, if, conditional statement, if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so, um, so you know, we were way hard on the sovereignty of God and salvation on the divine plane. And now he is 
on the human plane. And that is, we need to hear the gospel. We need to respond the gospel by repentance and by faith. And so he's going to keep on going. He says, for the scripture says, for everyone who believes in him will not, for everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him, on all who call on him, human response. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, and so he is now hitting on the need for human response, the need for human response to the gospel. Okay, so um, so with that being said, uh, on one hand, salvation entirely falls in the hands of God. And on the other hand, salvation lies in the hands of the child, of the person. Whose hands does it not lie in? The parent, yeah, the parent, right? Now we're going to get to where, our, where does our part come in here in this next part, but this again, it's all about us keeping our side of the street clean. It's all about us staying in our lane and recognizing what is the, what is the responsibility of God, what is the responsibility of my child, and what is not my responsibility. I can't save my, chi- I can't save my child. I can't respond on my child's behalf. That falls between the Holy Spirit and the child themselves. Okay, again, helping us to be in a loving, patient, gentle posture as we relate to our kids and when we talk about spiritual things. Okay, so now, how about mom and dad, where do I come in here? Here's what he says. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to, bear, to, hear, without, to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, the Lord, Lord who has believed what, has, what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, which is the gospel. And so for us, uh, the job of the parent in this is to expose our children to the gospel. Expose our children to the gospel. Uh, I can remember in college, I was on a retreat, and this intern said something that was so helpful for me. She says, our job is to expose the gospel, but a lot of times people get in trouble when they want to impose the gospel. All right, so another, another really good analogy, I can remember hearing this, um, Church of Brook Hills, when I was in college, that's where I'd go when I came home. Good Baptist boy. And uh, the pastor said, we are in, as evangelists, we are in the advertising department. We are not in the sales department. Okay, what's the difference between being in advertising and being in sales? They don't if, you're, if you're the salesperson, you have to close the deal. I used to be a salesperson for Jane's husband. And yeah, and I was trained to close the deal. You know, um, Mr. So-and-so, uh, you know, do you... Um, What's the process that you have? Uh, what's the process that you have for making the decision? What are the remaining steps in the process? Okay, great. And what do you see as your timeline in going through that process? Mr. Stone, let me ask you, if you were going to make a decision today, do you think you would buy CodeScan? That's what it was it used to be called. Great. Well, do you think that we could accelerate 
that timeline if I could give you a, a 10% discount if you sign by the end of this month? Because I have a sales quota and uh, I need to eat. No. Um, yeah. So you were, you, were, you, know, you were trained on how to close the deal, how to get them to sign the contract. And then I can also remember if I, when, I, when I had a local territory, they would say, um, I'll tell you what, I got the contract signed, and um, how about I fax it over to you tomorrow? And I would say, you know what? How about I just drive over to your office, and I will bring you a lemonade from uh, Chick-fil-A, and I'll just pick it up personally this afternoon. How does that sound? Because I did not want to jeopardize what was going to happen, right? Anyhow, so yeah, in sales, you got to close. You've got to, you want to lead them to the action, to the response of signing that contract and sending in their check and setting up an installation date, right? Right. If you're in advertising, you're just putting up the billboard. You're just putting out the message. You're just tweeting, whatever it is. And so, um, and so as a parent, our role is we are in the advertising department. We want to expose our children to the gospel because it says here, Paul says, how are they going to respond to a gospel that they have never heard? How are they going to be in relationship with a person that they have never been introduced to? Right? And so, here, here are just some very practical ways that we, that we do that. Um, one is, you come, come to church. Like, this is a church where we do have an intentional effort that every Sunday, in the preaching, in the liturgy, in the music, in the Sunday school, your child is going to hear the, hear the word of life. It's going to hear the gospel. Um, and so, one, you come to church. That's a good starting point. That's a place to expose your child to the gospel. Second, um, this is something that I, and a lot of our families do. I do it when I drop my kids off at school. But we do the gospel catechism when we drop off our kids at school. That's in the little purple book. I have, by the way, I'm so sorry I forgot to bring the purple book here. If you do not have the little purple brochure for the Children, Youth, and Family Ministry, come with me afterwards and I'll get you a purple book. But, um, but basically, you know, I'll say this when I drop my kids off at school. What, uh, what does gospel mean? It's good news. What's the good news? Jesus died for my sins. Why did he die for your sins? So I can have a relationship with him. Who loves you the most? God. Who loves you the second most? Mommy, daddy. What can you do by God's power and grace? Hard things. And so, you know, that's, just what, that's how I like to send my kids off on their day, is to remember that there is good news. The good news is that Jesus um, has died for their sins so that they can have a relationship with him. And so they are being exposed to the gospel, and it's just like a rhythm, you know? No, there's no high pressure. There's no, you got it wrong. It's just like, that's just the, they asked for it. We're driving up the hill, the back, the back way of Brookwood Forest. Um, they are asking, like, all right, let's do the guy, let's do it. You know, let's do the guy catechism, Dad. Ask us the questions. <laughs> so it's pretty cute. Um, some people do that when they put their kids down, wh- whatever it may be. But, hey, it's exposing your kid to the gospel in a very natural, non-high pressure way. All right, number, there's a gospel identity catechism for uh, teenagers that's, that's also helpful. All right, number three, put your kids in places where they hear the gospel. Like, yeah, we, def- we want you to be committed to Sunday morning worship here. That's, that's, that's biblical, and that's the single best thing you can do for your kids is to regularly come to church. And, like, hey, you have the means and have the desire to, like, send your kids to a Christian camp. You know, do your due diligence to make sure it's like a good Christian camp, um, and not a bunch of wackos. But, um, but yeah, hey, that can be great, you know. Or there's backyard Bible club, you know, after after school. Great, let them go to that. There's the, you know, local ministry like Young Life for Big Time. Like, great, those are places that they're exposed to the gospel. Um, and then finally, talk about the gospel organically. You know, as a, that's that's generally. 
that's generally how discipleship in a household really works. It's just kind of organically as we walk through life. And so, you know, um, um, you know, your, your child is, um, your child has been bad and you're having to discipline them. Uh, I think discipline in our house always ends with, um, hey, uh, I, I'm doing this because I love you. Daddy's a sinner. Daddy needs forgiveness. You know, daddy needs to be disciplined, but also needs to be reminded of forgiveness. And like, that's what we're doing here. And just remember that really what we're showing you here is that you're a sinner who needs the grace of Jesus. So anyhow, exposing your child to the gospel as you go. But I would say the bottom line of this whole lesson is to, just to live in the tension. To live in the tension. On one hand, um, to live in the tension of like, I have no control over this. This is, this is all in the hands of God through the Holy Spirit. And that leads us to pray and to trust and to plead with God to be at work in our kids' lives, to live in that side of the tension. And then the other side of the tension is to, you know, just to be faithful, just to be basically faithful um, of exposing your child to the gospel, both in your household, from your own mouth, but at church and other places. And, and so the key thing is that this side of the tension, where we trust in God, enables us, we remember the sovereignty of God, that, that you know, salvation belongs to the Lord, enables us to live on this side of the tension of our, our, you know, us trying to be faithful, to do that restfully, to do that way in a way that is, um, you know, that's winsome and patient and gentle and not high pressured and rigid and dogmatic. So yeah, so that's all I have. Now I'll pray for us and we can, um, uh, let me say a prayer and then um, we'll talk for a little bit. Jesus, thank you for, um, thank you so much for, uh, the gospel, that what, what you've done to us. Thank you that you, that the word of life has come to all of us, that everyone in this room um, has had access to, um, to the good news of your grace. And help us all to, to live in the tension, trusting in your sovereignty, and also being faithful in a manner that is um, in keeping with the fruit of the Spirit. So, trust you these things, ask your prayers in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so before, before I ask y'all, y'all, if y'all have any questions, Jane and Mary... Y'all have been in the parenting business longer than most of the people in this room. Do y'all have a word that you'd like to offer? Um, you don't have to, but y'all are really wise. I really respect you, and I, I know that I, as a you know kind of novice in the parenting business. <laughs> I never was sure my children were getting anything um, except just black eyes from fighting with each other behind my back. Um, but I can't tell you the value of having that experience rain down on my children. Um, and having just taught in the Sunday school program the past three weeks, boy, the curriculum, what our kids are learning, what our grandchildren are it's just tremendous, and I'm really grateful for a church that really invests in Christian education for our children in a very thoughtful, um, kind of almost systematic way, hmm. to where um, they, they, by the time they get through the 12th grade, they've really been exposed to a lot of, of scripture, a lot of knowing the Bible, knowing the, the catechism, as you said, 
and golly, to have to, what a blessing we miss when we're not in church. Hmm. Cool. Mary, you have anything to say? You don't have to. Oh, no, I just, amen, and I, I love the emphasis of the um, intentionality, but without the rigidity, and yeah. just ultimately trusting God, because that's, that's actually kind of hard to do. I mean, even and as the kids get older and older, I still would want to be their little Holy Spirit, and yeah. um, just, just kind of wiggle in there, and, and that's really not helpful, so... Yeah, yeah. But, uh, I'm I'm with Jane on the bring them to church. It's just uh, a, a place where they actually got very comfortable coming and and welcome and and yet they were really hearing the gospel. We can huh. we got like we do. Yeah. Cool. Yes. I had a question on that just because I had one try this morning and not want to come to church and was like I'm too tired. It's so boring and I definitely failed and two of us. <laughs> <laughs> hey I get it every I, I, I get it every week for one of my kids two of my kids actually two out of three and, and I'm paid to be here Yeah, for, well, I remember y'all, uh, Don saying it's the battle worth fighting. Yeah. But I mean, Gil, Jane, and Mary, do y'all want to speak to that? I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sorry, I'm not meaning to outsource my. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is a battle worth fighting. Um, I know sometimes we promise um, that we'll do things that we don't do. Yeah. And we're churches the same way. Um, and it is kind of, I think any time you give to the tears, the next time the tears are harder. Um, <laughs> kind of, I mean, that's They're smart. Really yeah, I think the other way to think about it, too, is because is, uh, I've had the blow ups a few times, and that was me 30 years ago. Yeah. No doubt. And no doubt. Miraculously, I came out the other side. <laughs> so, you know, it's really frustrating, but but uh, you you know you hold to it. I found something that kind of helps too, and you kind of alluded to this, but sometimes I'll just say, you know, I'm really tired and I don't feel like going today. But I always notice that when I go, and we've talked about this, like. Yeah. That's really wise. Yeah. That is so wise. Yeah, good stuff. Gunner's got me reading this, and I know she's in here, so I'm not talking trash about it. She's got me reading this like self-help sort of like parenting book or something where it all comes down. We're reading it together. But but like. 
But I think about it in the context of it's all about your self-control. And like, because of my church blow up is always like, get your... Yeah, right. Or I'm going to beat the... That always compromises my relationship. Yeah, it always compromises my time. Where it's like, all of a sudden, I'm the biggest hypocrite in the world because I'm absolutely like have lost my stuff yeah so like over the last three weeks since i've been reading this book it's like just ultimately i'm making a decision you know like this is my decision and because you don't have access to money or a car or food without me you are necessary (laughs) (laughs) so it's like that's it 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 really has i feel like it's helped well i think the maintaining self-control yeah that's it think about all the stuff that feeds into it's fear yeah Yeah. oh my god fear 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 fear, and then i respond out of fear and then all of a sudden i'm saying get your in the car and really what you're saying you're living in the tension and the trust right and saying like okay lord you have this so please help me to remain calm yeah state what i need to have happen and then move forward with that but well, and I think that was where, like, the felt convicted is, like, I immediately went to, I've done something wrong here. Yeah, you know? uh, no. And that's what's hard to, like, you know, walk, like, not feel. Because there are things we could be doing a better job with. So it's just hard to, like, not feel like it's your fault. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think the tie that binds us together is just kind of your tone. Mm-hmm. Tone and composure and responding to it. Yeah. And grace for when you do blow up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. My. It's funny. Um. I think another thing you can say too is like generally the things that are most beneficial for us are hard on the front end. You know, like exercise. You know, I mean, no one's like super jazzed about getting out of bed at five thirty to go run or whatever. But man, like after you've done it, it feels so good. Kind of like you said, Shannon. So that's what my dad. It's funny. My dad would always say we would go to church like on vacation. The first Baptist church of wherever we were, is we would go, and he would go, son, God gives us seven days a week, we can give him one morning. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, actually, I think God calls us to give us seven days a week, yeah. but it was like, you know, it was funny. That's what he, that, that was his response every time. It was actually kind of compelling, kind of shut me down. Anyhow, um, okay, well, great, that was good stuff. Thanks, thanks for everyone for chiming in. Good wisdom. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.